What's going on, guys? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of NBA Stories. I'm your host, Nick Nasby. And again, everybody, thank you so much for all the love I've been getting in the past week. It's really been, it's meant a lot to me. Uh, people reaching out, people saying nice things, telling me to keep it up. A lot of times when I get some of this, these content points down, I think to myself, like, okay, this is garbage. And then when I put it out there, people tell me it's actually good, which is sometimes a surprise to me, but that's all right. You know, if you listen to the pod and you like the pod, I, uh, I I ask that you go to Apple Podcast, which is the predominant one that you can leave reviews on. Leave a five-star review. Just tell me that you think it's good. If you don't like it, just DM me on Instagram. You don't have to fucking say anything about it, but whatever. Whatever you want to do, it's up to you. As long as you're listening, that's all that really matters to me. Tonight is a very special episode for me. I'm excited because NBA Twitter is really starting to piss me the fuck off. And I say this because there's no live sports on TV. We're still in the middle of quarantine for anybody who's listening in the future. There's no live sports on. And so everybody's trying to figure out what the hell to talk about. So the big thing that everybody likes to talk about is their top tens. They're talking about the Jordan versus LeBron debate, and they're talking about their top tens. And there is so much disrespect going on with these top tens. I cannot understand it. I can't stand it. It makes me... Very angry just to, to, to listen to a lot of these people talking about some of the old generations and why they weren't as good or, or why it's you know different from then back to back to now. But I didn't want to talk about that by myself because I don't think I could talk about that for an entire hour by myself. So I'm joined here today by one of the hosts of the Mark and Graham podcast, Mark DeQuilla. And uh, Mark, how's it going, man? How you doing? I'm doing well over here in... Uh... Pennsylvania. I'm just really excited to be on tonight. And I, like you said, I love the topic that we're going through tonight. I've been seeing it all over NBA Twitter, Instagram, and especially the last dance really got this conversation going again. But you know, I'm sick of, uh, obviously, we're going to get into it later, but I'm sick of it just being a focus on Jordan versus LeBron. Why not talk about the guys who we might have at eight and nine and why I think somebody should be number five who you have off the list or something like that. I just think there's a lot of conversation to be had that's more than just Jordan versus LeBron, and that's really what we're going to get into tonight, which I'm really excited about. So on the website that I write for, from the stadium.com, we actually just released a, an article. I just did an article on, on Jordan versus LeBron, and we had all, everybody do, do their own take and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think the big thing, and I talked about this in the article why I bring it up, is that people gravitate towards what they've seen. If They've seen LeBron play. They've seen all of the talent of today. And they haven't seen the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, and the 60s. And So when I go on NBA Twitter and I see people who are disrespecting the, the likes of Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Oscar Robinson, Jerry West, because they see the video of a college basketball game from the 50s and they think that that's how basketball was back then, it makes it's, it's very clear to me that there's no... There's no evidence going into their argument. They're just saying, I see it like this. This is how the NBA is supposed to be. Back then, because of the way that I see the game looks like it was played back then, they probably were very bad at scoring. They weren't very good at the game. And if they came in today, they would get absolutely dominated. And, and I think that that's a very easy misconception to make. I totally understand it, by the way, Mark. I totally get it. But at the same time, it's taking away from the greatness of those stars from the 60s, the 70s, and things like that. And, and I think that that's a very good point that you make. 
I believe personally that people who are very transfixed in today's generation of players are only willing to allow Michael Jordan into that characteristic because of how good he was then. I think everybody else is kind of a sidestep to all of them. They don't they don't they don't believe that those guys were even good enough to be in the conversation for today. And and so that that's like a big thing that I'm trying to break through to people, but obviously there's millions and millions of people on NBA Twitter and there's no way that all of them are ever going to understand all of that. But going to your list right now when you were when you were creating the list for yourself, Mark, did you did you have any kind of ideas of specifically what you're going for? Was it was it strictly just dominance in their era, or did you kind of look at at factors that are transferable to other times as well? There's a couple main themes, I would say, that I looked at. Just things that I value maybe that don't necessarily show up in a box score or that a lot of people might leave out of the conversation. Um, For example, one thing that we're definitely going to get into, and you'll see with some of my choices, is ABA statistics. I think that's something that like gets discounted a lot in the conversation of the greats of all time. A lot of players whose NBA careers were cut short because they spent time in the ABA. And I don't think that's necessarily fair to to look down upon them for that. And sometimes you do have to factor in what would their career look like had they had the same amount of time in the league as other players of their stature. Another thing that a lot of my players you might talk about is that it factor. Some of these guys, you just... When you they were on the court, you knew you were watching a top 10 talent of all time. I think there's something to be said about that. It's the way these guys carried themselves on and off the court, especially on the court, because these are transcending talents who change the game of basketball. I have representation of almost every era of basketball on my list, and I think that's important because these are the players who are staples of the game and really like evolved the sport. And I, I think that's going to be interesting when we get talking about this, is seeing how when you look at a guy like Michael Jordan and a guy like Magic Johnson who maybe passed that torch to him, how did the game of basketball change because of these guys? And there's so many cool factors that go into all of this too because a lot of my list is based on why did these some of these guys drop, right? Their, their careers might not end the way that we think that a career should end. Or maybe there was a rival for them. I mean, Bird and Magic. If you take away Bird or Magic in that era, whoever is left is going to be in the running for the greatest player of all time. They take away from each other because of how good they both were. And they kept taking away championships from one another. And I think that that's a big, big part of it as well. But I think that the major aspect is a very good point that you're making there too. In the 70s, the ABA was very close to, t- to overtaking the NBA. In fact, for anybody who doesn't know this, when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, at that point his name was Lou Alcindor, when he was drafted out of UCLA in 1969, he was drafted not just by the Milwaukee Bucks, but he was also drafted by the New York Nets. And he's from New York. So, so Kareem was from New York getting drafted by his hometown team. And if he got an appropriate contract from George Mikan, who at that point was the one in charge of the negotiation, they lowballed him. He asked for a specific amount. I do want to say it was like $4 million total contract. They gave him $1 million over the, the course of the entire contract. And he said, obviously, that's not good enough for me. And they wouldn't come up off that number. Obviously, the Bucks. he goes there. They give him everything he wants and more. 
if they paid him the way what he wanted to get paid, Kareem's going to the ABA, and it changes the entire course of the NBA as we as we see it today. The ABA's goal was never to overtake the league; they just wanted to merge. But if they merged, there probably would be a lot more teams from the ABA into the league today if it wasn't just for that particular thing. So those are little things that if go if they go a different way, we're seeing an entirely different league today. For the guys who played in the ABA, what were they doing there? comparatively to what they were doing in the NBA afterwards. Because that's the same kind of talent, by the way. The ABA was the same kind of talent. It was just simply, where are they from? Where do they want to play? If you're from Kentucky, you want to play for the Kentucky Colonels. Like You're just going to do that because that's what you know. And that's the case for somebody like a Dan Issel, who averaged 30 a game for the Kentucky Colonels in the early 70s, comes to the NBA, gets on the Nuggets, and he's... Uh, still still a star. He's still a high-level player, but he's not the same that he was when he was in the ABA. So that's another big point that you make there, Mark. I want to go first into the snubs. So what what we've done is that we've come up with five snubs, five guys who are probably, in my my case, 11 through 15 on the all-time list. And we're going to talk about all five of those uh, into a a, a lesser extent, obviously, than we would for 10 through 1. But we're going to at least give them some recognition because it's it's only fair. It's only appropriate for some of these guys to get that recognition. I believe that that's how it should be done. So for me, my snubs are, and you can call them snubs, by the way. You can call them, you can call them the next five up, whatever the case is. My, my next five up are Dirk, Hakeem, Oscar Robinson, Big O, Jerry West, and Moses Malone. Mark, who are yours? So I had some similar guys to you. I had Kevin Durant. I think that's a choice when I was looking at it. It was hard to argue. I'm not a huge fan, but you got to go with Kevin Durant. I had Kobe Bryant as a snub. It's going to be surprising. We're going to get into that, but Kobe was a guy I had to leave off. David Robinson is a big-time snub for me. I think he's very overlooked in the landscape of the greatest basketball players of all time. And back to that ABA conversation, I had Dr. J as a little bit of a snub, definitely number 15 as far as these snubs are concerned. But Dr. J deserves some respect on his name. There's a lot of talent on that on that Sixers team. You know, I have Moses, you have Dr. J. I'm sure you might even have Moses a little bit higher. Uh, my my takeaways from that for 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 you, obviously, if you want to go into it right now, I think it's probably a good, a good, as good of a point as, as as any. So you have Kobe, and you you have him off of that top ten. So what's what's your justification for? Uh, I guess on both on both sides of it, what's your justification for having him on the list at all, and also for why he's not in the top ten if he's on that list? All right. So for those who have listened to us before on this podcast, and if you've listened at all to the Mark and Graham podcast, we all know that I have some very uh, hot takes on Kobe Bryant. I respect him so much. I respect his family so much. And obviously what they've been through in the past six months is tragic. And I feel as bad as anybody for everything that has gone on. Um, He's a legend to the game of basketball and so much more off the court. But I'm also not going to back down from my stance as a basketball opinion and statistically and being a fan sitting on my couch arguing the top 10 basketball players of all time, I am a Kobe Bryant hater. I personally think he was overrated. He's got the most missed shots in NBA history, which is something I will always live on. I think he went for the Michael Jordan approach. The Mamba mentality is it's a stolen identity from Michael Jordan. 
Michael Jordan just didn't have a name for it. It was just called Michael Jordan, Air Jordan. But there was something about the way that Kobe played the game, his feud with Shaq. I always faulted Kobe Bryant for that. Something that really bothered me too with him was in his retirement tour, uh, a guy who who we're going to get into later. Everyone talks about Kobe Bryant's final game against the Utah Jazz where he put up 60, 62 points, was it? 62? 60 flat. 60 points. You know, that game was such just a a ridiculous – like, I didn't enjoy watching it. I got to be honest. I don't like yeah, seeing that circus. the lack of competition. Somebody who retired that exact same season and did it quietly in the offseason without any sort of parade, he never had a retirement tour because nobody knew he was going to retire, and that was Tim Duncan, a guy I have much higher on this list. Because I, he played – he played the game with that unspoken class. Kobe Bryant had a lot of class too, don't get me wrong. But I think a lot of his mentality was he rubbed teammates the wrong way in a lot of sense. And you know, you could be you could be saying that Kobe Bryant tried to push his teammates the way that Jordan did and wanted them to be better, which I agree with, but there was something that just didn't always click. And you know, he he'll always have those rings to fall back on, but a guy that I have on my snubs list who I think will pass him in the longevity of the game is Kevin Durant. And, you know, I'm not, a, I don't love the fact that Durant had to team up with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and a, the best team in arguably NBA history to get those rings. But in the grand scheme of things, if he can somehow pull out another MVP or another ring with the Nets, who knows? He's a young guy. I really do believe that Kevin Durant will be an all-time better player because he didn't he didn't have the selfishness that Kobe did to his game. I saw way too many missed shots in my life watching Kobe Bryant and watching the some I mean go look at the statistics from his career. The amount of times he shot per game when he had the likes of Pau Gasol on his team and guys who he could easily feed the rock to to get the job done. That's the difference between him and Jordan in my opinion. The missed shots and it was just I don't. I I appreciate the aggressive mentality, but it just bothered me at times. He. Uh, I, I mean, I agree a hundred percent. There was times watching Kobe, especially in those mid two thousands Lakers teams, where there were seven, eight seeds, and he was averaging thirty five a game, which is fantastic, great scoring numbers, but nothing's happening. And sometimes when he gets into these modes where he knows he's the best player on the court, and that's fine. If you're the best scorer on the court, then do your thing. But if you're off, then figure out a way to get your teammates involved. And every Kobe lovers, you know, I personally love Kobe Bryant. I watched him when I was a kid. That is always going to be a big thing for me in my life is just being around for Kobe when he was when he was young and I was young. He had the afro, all that kind of stuff. But 100% agree with you on that take because he was a bad teammate, overall bad teammate. I'll talk about it on mine. He's a bad teammate. He wasn't good with people. He ran people out of town. It had to be his way, and that's how it was with Jordan as well. But ultimately, Jordan was a different breed. He was a different animal, and I think that a lot of what Kobe tried to do was get better and improve consistently to be like Jordan, but it never quite panned out the same way. And that's a circumstantial thing as well, too, because you have to remember, Jerry Krause, I mean, we've we've taken our shots at Jerry Krause on this podcast and yours, Mark, but ultimately that man got, like you said, that man got a team together that won six championships. 
the front office for the Lakers made a lot of mistakes. They told Shaq he was going to be a Laker for life. They didn't recognize that they had a coach who was going to cater to Kobe over Shaq. And before Phil got there, that's what Kurt Rambis did. There's a lot of problems that happened in, in that front office. And, and they, they tore it all down to try to build a team around Kobe Bryant. But it's L.A. and they forget the, the simple fact of the matter is you can't rebuild in L.A. It's too big of a market. You're not allowed to do that. That's why the Knicks are so shitty all the time. Same thing with New York. You know, so that that's that's what I noticed from Kobe Bryant. So I totally understand that take. I've seen several top tens where he is or top twenties where he is left off in the in the mid teens, he's fourteen, fifteen on some. And because he was at the end of the day, as great as he was, he got kind of one dimensional on offense. He was a great defender. You know, he was an all defensive team, I wanna say twelve times or some crazy shit like that. But when it came to the offense, he was it was clear to his teammates that regardless of how good we're going to be, if he does this, he's still going to take the shots he's going to take. So we just have to figure out a way around it. The reason why Allen Iverson isn't higher on anybody's list is for that exact same reason. Is that he was, if you want to play with AI, you're just playing on a team running around while AI just dribbles 40 times and gets to the basket. You know, very similar in, in, in a lot of circumstances. Now in mine, the one that I had the hardest time leaving off was Hakeem. And I have a hard time leaving Hakeem off of this list because it's the anybody who is able to go, you know, 12 times to the All-Star game, he's the all-time block leader. He was the one who stepped up when Jordan was gone. That's the big thing for me. He not only won the finals twice, but he won both of those finals MVPs. When Jordan was gone playing baseball, he stepped up and he took over the NBA. Very similar to how the Celtics ran the league in the 60s. The Bulls ran the league in the '90s, so if you want to be on, if you want to be able to get any kind of any kind of recognition, you have to be the guys who step up when Jordan's gone. You, everybody had the shot, and he's the one who took advantage of it. I leave him off of this not not because of his lack of accomplishment, but just because of the accomplishments of the others on this list. I think that there's a there's other people on this who were able to take things that Hakeem honestly taught them and do it. Uh, to an extent where they were able to get a little bit more accomplished because of it. Because that's the truth. You know, the dream shake has been used by so many players since him. And, and it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost impressive how, how instrumental his game was, but in terms of just the facts and on paper and all that stuff, I think that there's other guys that are better than him. So those are the big ones on the snubs list. I don't think anybody can really make a, a any specific cases for anybody else to be on the top 10. My number 10 is Shaquille O'Neal. And I'll explain why. I've talked about Shaq so fucking much on this podcast so much so far, but that's it it is what it is because he is on the dominance rating. I have a dominance rating from 1 to 10. He is the only 10 out of 10. There are others who are close, but he is the only 10 out of 10 and I say that because the only way to defend Shaquille O'Neal was to foul Shaquille O'Neal and you can't always foul him and sometimes he would make those free throws, sometimes he wouldn't. But if the only defense against your player is to, is to foul you and send you to the line, you're a 10 out of 10 dominant player. He was the best player on three championships. He was the second best player on one championship. So obviously he has four. He won, a, he won an MVP. He, uh, he was a 15-time All-Star, a two-time scoring champion, 14-time All-NBA, three-time All-Defensive. He was the uh, head above any other center of his time frame. And that's talking about the likes of David Robinson. That's talking about the the likes of, I guess you could say Timmy uh, at that point, but I put him more at four. 
he was unstoppable, he was unguardable, and there was nothing that you could do about him. So I think that 10 is actually a little bit low, but comparatively to the others on this list, I think that's appropriate for him. Mark, who's your number 10? And before you go into that, what do you think about putting Shaq at number 10 on this? Well, I'll tell you, I think it's exactly where he should be because that's who I had as my number 10. Interesting. Um, Shaquille O'Neal, and b- believe it or, believe it or not, when I was doing a lot of my research, and I, li- I like to check out what even NBA Twitter's thinking and Bleacher Report, and there's all kinds of lists out there. And Shaq is well, like, I would say generally he is exactly at 10 on people's all-time list. It just seems appropriate, and what's interesting is to see the differentiate the. Um, I can't even say the word, but the variation is whether some people have Kobe ahead of him and some people like me have Kobe after him. And that's really comes down to how you value, value those championships and who carried them. But a lot of what Shaq did was with the magic and that's when he was most dominant. And, you know, we saw in the last dance documentary when that magic team beats Jordan's bulls, when Jordan went to baseball, that was a team that was carried by a young Shaq, a skinny Shaq that you talked about in your last podcast, his dominance was something the game had never seen. The center position it is well, well represented on this list. And Shaq is as dominating as any of them, the most dominating. Statistically, his numbers are so skewed because he dragged out his career for so long and became fat Shaq, who was lazy with the Cavs and with the Heat, and yeah, he won a championship with Wade, but by then he was just a different player. And a lot of his statistics aren't as favorable as they should have been. But look at the peak of his career, and he will beat out any of these guys. I did want to touch real quick on something you mentioned. I mean, you talked about Olajuwon as a snub. One of my snubs was David Robinson. And when we talk about the greatest centers of the game, I actually have him ahead of Olajuwon. I talked about this in the pre-show, how you have to consider guys whose careers weren't as long as they should have been. Tim Duncan is a big reason why David Robinson's career wasn't longer. Tim Duncan took a lot away from his all-time legacy because he didn't win a chip until Duncan got there, and a lot of people looked down on David Robinson. He is one of the greatest two-way centers the NBA will ever see. I agree. It's clear on that because he was I mean he was the Spurs first MVP and they had George Gervin. So that's that's an impressive feat in by its own right. He was probably the in the best shape of any center of all time. 7 foot 1 being at that size running the floor like he did, having the uh, ability in the post like he did. He's a, he was a great two-way player. I think that his a lot of his career was over over exaggerated by by Tim Duncan. And if it wasn't for that, I think that a lot of what he did what would have been probably on a higher pedestal than before. But just because of Timmy and what Timmy did, it, it does take away from it because he wasn't able to really get to that promised land without him. You know, he had Sean Elliott. He had certain guys like that, Avery Johnson, whatever the case might be. Vinny Del Negro was on the team at some point. But he never really got to that championship caliber before they had Tim Duncan. I think that that has a lot to do with why he gets he gets shafted when it comes to when it comes to these these lists a lot of times. But actually, that leads into my next point pretty well because at number nine, right after Shaquille, I have I actually have Tim Duncan down. And my case for Timmy is he won five championships. 
I say he was the best on four of those championships. I know a lot of people make the case for David Robinson in 99. I think that he was the best on that team. Uh, the only one that he wasn't the best on was 2014 when they did lo- when they had Kawhi coming into his own. I think that that obviously Kawhi kind of took over that that torch at that point. He has three Finals MVPs. Tony Parker took one of the Finals MVPs away from him. He was a two-time MVP in the early 2000s. People forget about this. The man averaged 25 points a game. For a lot of players, that's not really that impressive. But to average 25 points a game on Greg Popovich's offense is a really big deal. And I think that for him to average that kind, those kind of numbers on Greg Popovich's offense and then continuously be a contributor year in, year out, from 99 to 2014, the Spurs were in the running for a championship every single year. And it had absolutely everything to do with Tim Duncan being at the four or the five, whatever he wanted to play. His career averages 19 points per game. I think that that does him a disservice in terms of what what he was capable of doing. If anybody looks at this in 15 years, it's not going to look as good as it actually was. He averaged 10.8 rebounds per game for his career, three assists. He was a great facilitator for a big man, over two blocks. He's the second best teammate of all time. I think that that's a, a very big thing to pay attention to. The second best teammate of all time. He was so indispensable on that Spurs team. There was never a chance for him to leave. If they had the option in the early 2000s, right after the lockout, there was actually rumblings that Tim Duncan might have wanted to leave. And it just never happened because there was no way that they would allow it to happen. And he started and he ended in San Antonio. And everybody knew that was going to happen. And it's because of how how great of a teammate he was. His teammates loved him. His coach loved him. The front office loved him. The fans loved him. Apparently, he's actually not that nice to the media. But, you know... And he's just kind of a normal dude. He shops at Gap. He wears jean shorts, you know? It's like weird, but whatever. I I think that he's appropriate appropriate at number nine. Um, who's your number nine, Mark? And, and what do you think about having Timmy at nine? Well, we're going to get into my placement for Duncan. Actually, I, I, I think it's a little bit low for, for TD, in my opinion. I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for him. But my number nine is of the same position I think, yeah, technically the same position. Power forward, and it's a guy I've talked about on this podcast many times. You had him on your snub list, but I'm going to put some respect on Moses Malone's name. And this is a guy that I we've gone into it many times before. He played so many years when you factor in the ABA, but his dominance with both the Rockets and the Sixers was ridiculous. He is a 13-time All-Star, and when you look at his rebounding and points numbers throughout his career I mean the guy he led the league in rebounding in seven out of eight years I believe averaged 20.3 points for his entire career but I mean that's I mean he played a long time in the NBA so obviously it's skewed once again in the beginning and end I mean the end of his career was wasn't even averaging 10 points so you're talking about the prime of his career this is a guy that was averaging almost 30 he's got the championships he played on some of the greatest teams in NBA history that nobody talks about. And I just think when you look at the overall career of Moses Malone, I don't do you consider him a power forward or a center, honestly, because it, it changes things. Yeah, he's a center. Yeah, they because they had Dawkins and they played him at four. He's also the greatest offensive rebounder of all time. And it's not it's not even really close. And that's that's comparing him to Bill Russell and Will. 
He was the greatest offensive rebounder of all time because in their time, the only thing that I'll take away from that era is that you could tip it in. There was no offensive goaltending. So he was in an era where that, that was the case, where there was offensive or offensive interference, and he was still the best offensive rebounder of all time. There were seasons where he averaged almost eight a game. Yeah, I mean, that's absurd. That's nobody's. If you get eight offensive rebounds in one game today, that's a huge deal. And he averaged that. I, I think that Moses is someone, it goes, in terms of the all-time undervalued legends, number one is Moses Malone, without a doubt. Number two is Elvin Hayes. And then I would probably put Elgin Baylor before, below him. Those are three guys that no one ever talks about for how great they were. Elgin, for some, I don't, like, I think it's just the 70s, man. I think the 70s really screwed a lot of these guys out of notoriety. Because the NBA was dying, the ABA was starting to flourish, nobody really knew what to what was going to happen, all of these stars are having issues with drugs, they're getting arrested, all of that stuff is going downhill, the NBA is not popular, people aren't watching it, there wasn't a really a whole lot going on in the 70s, if it wasn't for Bird and Magic, who knows what would happen to the NBA. And Moses was kind of stuck in that in that era where he was forced to play at a time where people didn't really care, and he he did so much so much for the for the city, he did so much for the teams that he was on. But I mean, a hundred percent to your point, he is incredibly undervalued. In fact, also including by me on my list. But I just think that the other players on this list have a little bit more to do with the NBA shaping it out the way it is today. But, I mean, he's right up there. I think that's a good point, too, is with shaping the NBA. He'll never be considered one of those pioneers that, you know, honestly, Dr. J is more of a pioneer than Moses Malone is because his style of play really didn't catch on. You know, offensive rebounding, What Dennis Rodman was probably the the next guy to really come and change the game like that. But um, just one other thing on him real quick is a three-time MVP – in itself is ridiculous like three three mvps i don't even know what other players in nba history have done that and in in his era it was a competitive era of basketball you know just moses malone really ridiculous in my opinion but for my number eight spot we're definitely going to get into a little debate on this one i have him a lot lower than a lot of people do including i know you bill russell i'm going at number eight okay my logic here is championships are great but Robert Ory also has how many championships? Nine? Seven. Seven? Yeah. Bill Russell, his statistics, it was a different NBA, but they don't compare quite the way Wilt Chamberlain, for example, do. Obviously, Kareem. I have, as we'll talk about soon, I have Larry Bird as I think he's a greater all-time player when you look at his legacy. But Bill Russell, 11 championships is an absurd statistic. Nobody can discount that. But people forget how stacked those teams were. You're looking at some of the greatest basketball teams of all time on those teams that included John Havlicek, Bob Cousy, Sam Jones, Casey Jones. Um, Unbelievable teams. Exactly. Wilt Chamberlain is somebody who played with great players as well, but he wasn't outshined on those teams not outshined because Bill Russell is the greatest player on those teams, but like I'm, I'm saying statistically, it's just, for me, Wilt Chamberlain is more impressive to look at. Another thing with Bill Russell that I think does look at him unfavorably is he was great defensively, and blocks were not a recorded stat at the time. So that's something that I think if you factor in 
blocks and they were recorded, you might look at him a little differently. And this is something I know you're going to get into, but you can't deny that he was an unbelievable facilitator. That's something that is very rare at the center position. And that's where I will give him an edge over a lot of players. But I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about Bill Russell once we get there. Yeah, he, uh, I, I, I totally understand the take. You know, when I see the take, I get it. I just, I think, luck, like, I, I'm cool with you having him there because a lot of people have him at like 25. I saw somebody ha- who had him at 32 overall. And it was just a gut punch for me to see that. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. And so people will put him in the top 10, and all of these tweets back are like, Bill Russell played against plumbers and electricians. Like you don't, if you don't know the NBA back then, then you know you can't comment. I don't know the NBA, but I did a lot of research to make sure that I can understand how it was. So having them at eight, I get it, you know. But so what you're saying essentially though is is that Larry Bird's the greatest Celtic. Yes, I, okay. and that is all an era of basketball conversation. I think now, would you agree? Obviously, I, I think this is a pretty standard take that. Bill Russell's Celtics were a better overall team than Larry Bird's. It's tough. That's tough because you got to see who, who Bird had to because he had Parrish and Mikhail and Dennis Johnson mm-hmm. and Danny Ainge, right? I, and I, Joe Walton for a couple seasons. I mean, it's not – the thing is – and I, I think we've had this conversation before, uh, the, the two of us, where you go back to the 60s and you're not really taking away a lot of talent from from basketball as it was from now to then. It's just a different style of play. The only difference was that there was only eight teams. Uh, uh, you have all this talent on eight teams, so every team's stacked. You can't go through any teams without running into a lot of significant talent. And I think that that's something that gets lost a lot to people because it's easy to think that the NBA was a little bit was a little bit weaker back then, and that's 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 fair. Totally get it. The only real difference, at least to me, was that there was no three-point line, you know, and the three-point line hasn't even been utilized really to its fullest extent, I would say probably to like 2000. So that that's really the biggest difference. I think that the game had had evolved by the time Bird got there. There was a little bit more flash. He was somebody who clearly watched point guards play, you know, and he and he utilized that himself. I'll get to Bird, you know, in, in a couple in a couple. But I, I, I totally I totally get that take, though. I think that that Bill Russell at eight is fair. It's especially if you, you know, for the people who I can now kind of tell that you're going to have in front of him, I get it, putting him where he is. I have him higher because I think I just put a a bigger value on winning championships regardless of the circumstances. And I'll go more into it, obviously, at that point. My number eight is Kobe for a few reasons. Number one, he's a five-time NBA champion. He was definitely the best player on two of those championships. You can make a case that he was the best player on three. That 2000 championship, he was almost neck and neck with Shaq. Shaq got the finals MVP because somebody's got to get it, and they don't do co-MVPs, especially for two guys who are feuding with each other. But you can make a case that he was the best on, on three of those MVP teams. He only has one one uh, one regular season MVP, which I think is, is, is a joke. I think... If you're going to go back into those years, a couple of those seasons should should see Kobe Bryant with an MVP trophy. One of the Steve Nash years, he averaged 35 a game. I think that that probably would be the other one, in my opinion. He was an 18-time All-Star. Obviously, the last couple of those All-Stars were just because we liked him. 15-time All-NBA, you don't get on those teams without, without actually earning it. That's the one that's big for me. 
12-time All-Defensive, one of the best two-way players ever. He took so much from Jordan, and it, we, we could see he took a lot of his style from Jordan, too. He was a quiet, introverted guy when he was playing, especially when he was young. He took a lot of that from Michael Jordan, but the, the, the game mirrored his game so well, so specific. It was one of those, it was one of those, those mirroring situations where, where you, there's videos of the two of them doing the same move, and there's really not a whole lot of difference if, even in the mechanics of what they would do. You know, 32,000 points all time. A lot of those came off of terrible fucking shots, just like you said. I don't have him higher on this because he was a bad teammate. He ran people out of town. He was he was not able to befriend Shaquille O'Neal, who was one of the most lovable human beings ever. Even though Shaq's got his problems himself, it's not all Kobe's fault. But there was a, a lot of problems in that Lakers team, and he caused a lot of those problems on that Lakers team. You know, the the story goes that he didn't go to Shaq's wedding. He didn't go to any of the parties that that they invited him to. He never went out to eat with the with the team. He never went to anybody's home. He always just hung out with himself and his wife. And he didn't invite anybody to him and Vanessa's wedding. That's the kind of teammate that we're looking at with Kobe Bryant. So that kind of mentality, coupled with the fact that he's he's not passing the ball to you, you can see how that could be an issue for anybody who's playing against him. So I totally get why you leave him off. I have him on this because I can't overlook five championships. I can't overlook being a key contributor on all five championships and being the best player on two, probably three. The second best player, definitely on three. The MVP... 15 times on the All-NBA team, 12 times on the All-Defensive team, and an 18-time All-Star. I have him at number eight, and, and I think that if he was if he was in an era a little bit sooner, he might even be higher on that list, you know? So, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about, what do you think about having Kobe there? I, I respect it, and I think my issue, honestly, I, is with people who put him higher than High, I think literally 8 is that mark. And I always say 8 to 12. I think 8 to 12 is the perfect range for Kobe Bryant. And I think right now, like for my list, I have him 11. And, but I think KD, who I have at 12, will clearly pass him by the end of his career. But it's 8 to 12. My issue is, and I think we're only going to experience it more and more as sad as it is, because people, his legacy now, people want to honor it so much more. And deservingly so. People deserve to honor his legacy the way they are. But, I mean, people are going to throw him in their top five conversations. And, I mean, I see all this conversation about how he needs to be in the Jordan-LeBron debate. And I'm like, slow slow your roll. Kareem is, well, not to give away anything. Somebody like that is more deserving of that conversation than Kobe Bryant. The one thing I will say about him his statistic that I think is the most impressive is the all-defensive teams. That's what sets him apart from the great scorers who shot too much like James Harden and Allen Iverson. That is the one thing that he will forever be able to hold on to and say, you know, you can't say that I'm a one-dimensional player. He worked his ass off on defense every time, guarded the best player on the opposing team, and I respect that. He, I mean, he he was up for the challenge. There was a cool video I saw a couple a couple days ago where the they were playing the Milwaukee in Milwaukee and the they had the Bucks mascot and this huge balloon mascot, and he everybody's walking by and the mascot's like jumping out. It's like a prank show and they're they're jumping out and 
and they're they're trying to scare all the guys and you can see it's like working on Dwight it like worked on Steve Nash and all of these different guys and then Kobe walks by doesn't have any music in he's just walking by and this this mascot jumps out at him and he doesn't even move he doesn't even move you know like that's the kind of that's the kind of mindset regardless of what he tried to patent it as i think that that mindset is you're born with it and he was born with it he had it he had it built into his dna and that's fantastic you know but he did really take a lot from Jordan. But I mean, if I'm if I want to be the best at something, I'm gonna learn from the best. And he did it better than anybody. He took from the best, and he learned exactly how to be mentally and on the on the court. They're almost identical in terms of their dimensions, and they played the game very similarly until Kobe started to develop uh, an even better three point shot. So uh, I think Kobe's appropriate there. Moving on up to to number seven, Mark. Uh, who who do you have at number seven, and, and let me hear why. Well, uh, this is where I had my all-time greatest Celtic, and that's where I have to go, Larry Bird. At number seven, I think, is where he should be because you start getting into some of the guys who really set themselves apart as far as I'm concerned. And uh, Larry Bird, his playoff numbers and the, the way that that team got to the finals in the 80s going head-to-head with the Lakers is such a legacy you know Robert Parrish and Kevin McHale are a part of those teams like you said but Larry Bird was just the heart and soul you know people hated him he really is one of the first players to ever like be hated in in basketball like that's people hated that team and he you know he's known as one of the greatest trash talkers in NBA history and just an incredible competitor all around but I just think you have to factor in the injuries at the end of his career, which hold him back a little bit from being higher on this list. He changed the game of basketball. He brought, he's the first great shooter, in my opinion, that the NBA really ever saw. And now the entire NBA is that. When you talk about players who changed the game of basketball, Larry Bird, for me, is atop that list. And that can't be discounted. Maybe not atop that list. There's another guy by the name of Michael who... Changed the game pretty significantly. But Larry Bird, as far as shooting is concerned, there's nobody greater. Averaged 24 points, but once again, a skewed number because his greatest years, he's averaging way more than that. He was injured at the end of his career. Averaged 10 rebounds for his entire career. That's something people don't talk about. He was an all-around player. Uh, Six assists as well, uh, almost two steals and a block. He was a very strong all-around player. Larry Bird's my greatest Celtic of all time. And, you know, the biggest reason for me is, and not to go to gripe back on the Bill Russell conversation, but you mentioned earlier, Bill Russell was playing in an NBA where you only had to win 10 10 to 14 games to win an NBA Finals. It was, uh, there were very few teams in the playoffs, not to mention those Celtics teams were so good that they were getting first round buys. Buys didn't exist when Larry Bird was running the table. He had to work a lot harder, in my opinion, for those championships. And I don't, it was a strong team, but I, in my opinion, I have to go with Bill Russell's talent around him was a little bit stronger as far as I'm concerned. And I just, that's where I have Larry Bird ahead of him at number seven. Here's, here's a question for you, Mark. What would you consider 11 championships back then to equivocate to now? Because I, I kind of agree with you in that sense. And I was just thinking about that when you were talking is that 11 championships back then was 11 championships, but how many does that equivocate to today? Okay, the way I look at it, I'll give you an interesting comparison that 
I would, it reminds me a lot of the, what I think the closest athletic feat to what Bill Russell did is LeBron making it to the finals eight consecutive years, was it, or nine? I think that's the closest athletic feat because making it to the finals was playing just as many games, if not actually probably more, than Bill Russell had to play to win the NBA finals, if that makes sense. Gotcha. That makes sense. Totally. You know, and I think that that's a, that's a good takeaway. I think the big thing with Bill, and I'll go into it more, wasn't necessarily the amount of championships, but the amount of consecutive championships and the, and the constrained time in which they got those championships. My number seven here, because I'm going to go further into Larry in a bit, obviously, uh, is, is, is one, uh, Wilt, Wilton Norman Chamberlain, my, my number, th- my third topic on this, on this podcast I love talking about Wilt. I think he's so interesting as a human being and as a player. His dominant scale, the factor that I was talking about with Shaq, I have him as a 9, nine out of 10. Because I, t- I think that 10 out of 10 is only Shaquille O'Neal. And then Wilt is in a, in a completely different caliber, but also more dominant than probably any other, any other player, obviously, back then. But probably most players today, very deceptively strong. I think that's the thing that people don't know about him because he was skinny. He was skinny, but he had a lot of upper body strength, and he was able to throw people around. There was a story of Bob Lanier, who was on the Detroit Pistons in the 60s, and if you know anything about Bob Lanier, you know he was six foot eleven and pretty stout. He's a big dude. He was fighting with Wilt over a rebound after a free throw, and Wilt essentially picked him up and moved him, just picked him up off the ground and moved him somewhere else and got the rebound. That's the kind of strength we're talking about with Wilt Chamberlain. On paper, 13-time All-Star, 4-time MVP, 10-time All-NBA. They didn't have all defensive teams back then or else he would have been on that as well. I think he was limited greatly by his era. I think it's always going to be a, a, a knock on his career is when he was born. You know, if Wilt Chamberlain was born in 1959 instead of starting his career in, 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 that, you know, in, that, in that time frame, I think we're talking about a completely different, different story because I do believe that he would be able to do this in any single era that, he's grown, that he grows up in. He averaged 50 points per game in 1961 and 62. I don't understand what it was about that season. All I know is that that season had some of the most astounding statistical seasons for any of these players that I've ever seen. That was the 50-point-per-game season from Wilt. It was also 37 points per game for Elgin Baylor. It was the triple-double year for Big O. And even, even Bill Russell averaged almost 19 a game that season. So I don't know what it was. The league average scoring-wise, for anybody who thinks that they didn't know how to score back then, 116 points per game, way more possessions, way faster of a game. They were up and down so quickly. He led the league in assists one season just to pretty much say he could. He played 48 minutes a game for three consecutive seasons. In fact, he played 48.3 minutes per game in one of those seasons because he played every minute in overtime for all of their overtime games. He got 55 rebounds in a single game. That is, besides the 100 points, I think the 100 points can be touched. No one's ever going to come close to that 55 boards in, in a single game ever, ever. It's never going to happen again. And he was the best player on one championship team when he won in Philly. And he was the second best player on the 72 championship team when they won in LA, only behind, of course, Jerry West. His body of work is something that is has changed more rules than anybody else. He was the single reason for more rule changes in NBA history than anybody. That's including Kareem. That's including Bill Russell. He, he dominated everybody in that entire era. 
And I think number seven is only appropriate. The only hindrance for him is that he was expendable. In the the height of his career, the way that he was, his mindset, the way that he put himself above the team on a lot of different occasions, it did make him expendable where he did go to two different teams. He was traded to the Sixers from the San Francisco Warriors after he started in Philadelphia with that same Warriors team. And then he was traded again to the the Lakers. And both times, his teammates were okay with him going. So that's, of course, a takeaway. That's my knock on Wilt. Other people have the knock of the 60s, but that I don't have that on him. I have the fact that his teammates didn't always like him that much. So that's my number seven, Wilt Chamberlain. And, uh, and, what do you think of what do you think about Wilt being at that position, Mark? Once again, I love everything you said right there, um, and I'm going to get into him a little bit later because I do have him a notch above Wilt. I might be biased as a Philadelphia guy. Wilt is the cream of the crop at the yeah. the yeah. era he played in, and one thing about him that is really interesting: you said the the NBA record 55 rebound game was against Bill Russell. So that's where I have to give him the edge. People said that Bill Russell was his kryptonite during that time in the NBA. He was the only guy who could stop him. When people talk about that era of basketball, the biggest downside is they were like the only seven-foot players in the entire league, those two. But to do that and have the all-time NBA rebounding record against Bill Russell, of all people, is just ridiculous. I guess we're on to number six then, correct? Yeah, number six. Who Who's your number six, Mark? I have my guy, Timmy D. Um, you talked about him a little bit earlier, Tim Duncan. I have very high on my list. I know number six might seem a little steep, but you're talking about the ageless wonder. Tim Duncan, I'm going to make the argument that I just said I hate when I talk about David Robinson, but David Robinson didn't win a ring until Tim Duncan was there. And then Duncan took that franchise and created the next dynasty after Jordan's Bulls and you know that dynasty that dynasty lasted so much longer than any we've really seen in NBA history and it was all there's only one staple of all those teams and it was Timmy D I think that's something crazy that's a legacy that's longer obviously not as many championships but it's longer dominance even than Tom Brady and Bill Belichick they went through decades of basketball and dominated every single year I mean, something that's crazy is I saw I saw this in my research and I, I couldn't even believe it, that in 2015, which is the very end of Duncan's career, he was a front runner for defensive player of the year. That just speaks to his work ethic above all. He was an all defensive and all NBA staple every single year. And, you know, when you talk about the power forward position, Dirk Nowitzki was unbelievable, but there's only one name that comes to mind when you hear that position. And I don't want to hear Carl Malone because I have Dirk well ahead. Dirk Dirk is well ahead of Malone. But his career statistics, Duncan's, it's ridiculous to me that he still averaged almost 20 points and 11 rebounds for his entire career when it lasted so long. The fact, his last couple years, he wasn't putting up 20 a game and he he still for his career averages nineteen point six. That's ridiculous to me. Yeah, I think t- where Timmy is on yours makes sense. Both places make sense. It might be a little bit steep just because of who I have kind of in that in that range. I think when it comes to Tim Duncan, the hindrance with Tim Duncan and the reason why I had him a little bit lower wasn't even his fault. It goes actually as a as a, it's a positive, but it just puts other people ahead of him. 
is that, and I mention this every time I talk about the Lakers, when I talk about the Spurs, Greg Popovich established a starless culture in San Antonio. A starless culture in San Antonio, meaning that there was no specific guy there. We all know who the guy was, but he is still someone who is there to do his job. And that's the that's the important thing about Tim Duncan, is that he knew that he was there just to do his job. And he did his job to the best of his ability. Now, his job happened some seasons to be averaging 25 points a game. So all I can think about a lot of times is if you put Tim Duncan on a team with a coach who lets him do what do run the offense and be the guy and, and and be the focus point and didn't have a lot of talent around him. Some of these guys on these teams averaging you know twenty five on on a on a terrible team. Think about Kevin Martin in, in Sacramento where he was averaging twenty five a game, but who cares because his team sucks. You 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 put Timmy on a team like that, he'll average thirty plus easily. But he was on a successful team and he had a mindset of team over 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 player which is very hard to find in such a player-oriented league like this, where he has a very old-school mindset as to how to get it done, and he got it done. you know. And I think that, really, the success that he had in San Antonio is the reason why we look at him as the cream of the crop when it comes to power forwards. He, of course, played some center, but he's a power forward. He was the most fundamental player of all time. He had the best footwork of any player of all time. You can make a case for Hakeem, but I still think it's Timmy. He just had everything he did was so robotic. And I think the best stories too, Mark, just real real quick on this too, is is hearing other people talk about how he talks shit. I don't know if you know about have you ever heard about that before? Yeah, I think with like in his friendly nature, right? Yeah. Where he's just like, Oh, look at that. Oh. Hmm. I bet this is gonna go in, huh? Watch this. And he'd be like that, instead of like instead of like reacting. You know, that's the funniest part about for me with Tim Duck. One thing I, I kind of wanted to ask you, like, what I think is so impressive is obviously he's got five rings, just as many as Kobe, and two MVPs. But what I kind of touched on it earlier, and I think what is so crazy about his career is the longevity and the fact that these rings came in such stretched out periods of time. Do you think that's more of a credit to his career, or is somebody like? like a Bill Russell who won all of them consecutively or Jordan who went six for six and was out like which is a greater feat because I'm, I'm so impressed by the fact that that team they might not have won the championship every single season but they were a top seed in the west for how many years about 15 16 yeah if they if they I remember the one year they were a four seed and it was pretty it was it was pretty strange because they lost in the first round because they had to play the Clippers I don't know if you remember that. It's like it's weird to not have the Spurs at, at least in the conference finals. I think that with the longevity of Timmy comes with it's it's a, just a testament to the way he played the game. He didn't he didn't rely on athleticism. He didn't rely on anything other than his fundamentals that he was taught. Clearly, he's such a smart guy because I mean he only started playing basketball when he was in ninth grade. So to learn the amount that he did in that amount of time, he had to just be able to pick it up immediately that's that's the cool perfect storms when it comes to a lot of these guys you have you have a kid who was a swimmer for his entire life in the virgin islands and he comes to to ninth grade he starts playing basketball not just playing basketball but playing at the highest level that anybody's ever seen he goes to wake forest and he's the number one pick and he's the most clear-cut number one pick probably probably ever i would say ever besides zion and, and lebron was tim duncan there was nobody else that would ever be the number one pick in that draft 
So for him to do what he did at that level doesn't require a whole lot of, of athleticism, which means that if he is breaking down, his body's breaking down, he can still play at a relatively efficient pace. Same thing with Dirk. I think that's what happened with Dirk too. But yeah, I think that's where that longevity comes from. That's why we saw Manu was the first really to fall off with out of all three of them. Tony came came after him, but because Tony's younger than both of them, also. But I think that's why that it happened that way. It's because of how how efficient he played with with the least amount of energy being expended in the in the significant amount of minutes that he played as as well. You know, I and so I totally agree there. With, with Timmy being at six. Now, my six is who you were talking about before in Larry Bird, who, to really put it bluntly for anybody, when I watched him as a kid and I heard all of these stories about Larry Bird, he was one of those guys when I found out that he didn't, he wasn't just shooting threes all day. I tried to figure out, like, what the hell is this guy doing to score this many points? Because I never had a chance to watch him play. But I did have an opportunity to watch a whole lot of his highlights and to see the way that he played, to see the deceptiveness off of the ball, to see the way that he can move with the ball, to see his passing mechanics, to see the jump shot that he could get off his post game. Everything was just so picturesque. The way that he played was mechanically immaculate. He'll tell you what he's going to do to you and then he'll do it to you and then he's going to run down the court and say, I just did that to you. He was, you said he was hated. He was hated because he was one of the best shit talkers ever. Nothing's worse than getting shit talked to someone who is actually saucing the shit out of you. That's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. He would always have games where, where he would, he, he would deceptively get 30 points. Very similarly to Kevin Durant, where you look at the box score and somehow he's got 25 points already. On paper, he's a three-time MVP. You could have made a case for two more of those MVPs that, that Magic got over him. He was a three-time NBA champion. Two of those finals, he was the MVP in. 24 points per game, like you said, six assists per game, 10 rebounds. The first real, one of the first of the two, because him and Magic at the same time, triple-double threats on a consistent basis. Top five teammate of all time. His teammates loved him. He was a great leader. I, I think that he ushered in, he was a savior of the NBA. He was one of the two saviors of the NBA. If it wasn't for that rivalry, then he wouldn't, then the NBA wouldn't be where it is today. But the hindrance with Larry Bird, why he doesn't go higher, is two things. One, the back injury at the end of the 80s started to really, really deteriorate his ability to play in the early 90s. He only played for 13, 14 years, where today, that's not. it's just not enough. Back then, that was a pretty healthy career. The other thing is, and I mentioned this at the beginning, if you take away magic from this era, you put magic in the 70s, and you put Bird in the 80s. The Magic's the guy of the 70s, and Bird's the guy of the 80s. And you take the other one away, and Bird gets all those MVPs, and he gets all those championships. And I think we might be talking about Larry Bird being the best player ever. So I think that the rivalry with Magic Johnson actually deterred him from being as high or higher than he is right now. But right now, I have him at six. You know, I I really like what you just said, because I think that's it's so interesting to look at the two of them and what could have been if they weren't competing with each other. And, you know, you can say that about a lot of eras of basketball. We talked about Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. Like, that's an example of imagine the other one didn't exist. Imagine LeBron wasn't dealing with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Like, it's crazy to think about the way things would have panned out, but there's no bigger two dominating faces of the sport rivalry than 
Magic and Bird. One thing I did want to bring up is you brought you talked about Larry Bird being a great teammate, and I want to compare him to two guys that are also on both of our lists, and that's their relationship with their teammates between Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and Kobe Bryant. Because those are three guys who all were hated across the league for their personality, their shit-talking, their Mamba mentality. I think all three sort of had that approach to the game. But the one thing that does stand out about Larry Bird is how well-liked he was by his teammates. Why do you think that is? I think with Bird, he had a quiet demeanor about him, whereas Jordan also had that quiet demeanor, and Kobe did as well. But with Bird, it was more of... Uh, an inspirational he had more of the positive aspects to to leadership whereas Jordan was fear Kobe was fear Bird also had the the Celtics also had other stars they had guys where if you get rid of Bird we're gonna lose a whole lot and probably not gonna be a threat for a little bit of time but we do also have this 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 two-headed monster in Parrish and McHale, who are our, our low post guys and both of them can play at an incredibly high level I think uh, I think that Mikhail is consistently underrated because he was playing with Larry Bird. I think Kevin Mikhail is one of the top ten best power forwards of all time, and I think that and I think that if you take him off of that team, put him on a different team, he'll be the one averaging twenty five a game. He had some of the best post moves that you'll ever see. He had some of the best footwork. His turnaround game was incredible. He had a, a post took a little shimmy shot that he could get you fifteen to twenty just on that a game. And I think you take that you take Bird off that team, and you have Kevin McHale. And we saw that for a couple times, especially when he was hurt. But Jordan was the clear star, and he was the clear alpha. Bird was the alpha, but it wasn't as obvious. So I think that that's what has to do with what that has to do with a lot is you take that alpha mentality off, where it's like you need me so much, and I know that you need me, and I'm going to act like it. He didn't have that aura about him, and I think that's what took away from the fear that his teammates would have playing with him yeah absolutely I think like you said Larry Bird just the demeanor setting himself apart in that way with his team really makes Larry Bird high up in this conversation I respect where you have him and I'm interested to hear your take on the Bill Russell conversation because I have Bird as the greatest Celtic and I want to hear why you think Bill Russell is the greatest Celtic I think it's going to be an interesting conversation but uh, I believe we're on number five now, correct? Five, yeah. I got to go Wilt Chamberlain here. Chamberlain, for me, I just think his domination of that era is unseen in the game of basketball. He averaged 50 points in a season, which is obviously something that will never happen again for many reasons. But it's also something that no matter what era you're talking about, it cannot be discounted. He never had a down game, it felt like. You know, rebounding and scoring, no matter what type of game you're playing, look, compare the players of his era and see how much better he was than them. Because that's where I think people, you t- I, you always talk about the, the era conversation, how people just don't count for that era the way it should be. It's what you have to do is just compare the players that were playing at the time. And dominance is dominance, no matter what. And all you have to do is look at that disparity between the two. He also, the amount of minutes he was playing a season is unbelievable. And that's stamina. It comes down to stamina. To be able to play almost 50 minutes a game is absurd. It's He was playing almost every second of every game. And I get it. That's why his stats are so 
ridiculous, but it's that's an athlete. That's a true athlete. You could argue, I think, very easily he's the greatest athlete on this list. 100 points is, you know, there's nothing else to be said about that. He's also the only player in NBA history to record a double, triple, double. 20 plus in every single category <laughs> that's mind-boggling yeah um he's the all-time leader in rebounds i don't think that'll ever be touched probably not no just because of longevity like it's not something that i don't really think we'll ever see again i think him and bill russell is one of the best debates there is in basketball and people forget about it because it's all about magic at first bird but Bill Russell versus Will Chamberlain is a conversation that people our age need to start talking about. You need to just go look up those statistics and have that conversation because they're two of the greatest basketball players of all time and right inside the top six with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. So I just think it's time that those guys get some respect. Yeah, I mean, the Will the – will- Bill Russell conversation is never going to be the same just because Bill won all the time. You know, with Magic and and Bird, it was 3-3 split down the middle. So you can't – one side could say Bird is better. One side could say Magic was better. That being said, I do say Magic's better. Magic's my number five here. And I have him here. He's a 12-time All-Star, won three MVPs, 10-time All-NBA player, three-time Finals MVP. So every single time he won a championship, he was the MVP on the Finals. Oh, wait, no. He won four championships. One of them was Kareem. He's a three-time Finals MVP. At his height, he averaged 20 and a half points per game, 12, a little over 12 assists a game. And he only played until he was 31 years old. And he made this impact in really 11 years. Because 31, that was 91 when he announced the HIV the HIV test. And he and he was done. The only time we ever saw him again was on the was on the Barcelona Dream Team. And then in 96, he came back for a little bit of time. Magic compacted so much into such a small small amount of time. It only It's crazy to think about how much more he had in the tank when that disease took him away from the game and how much more he would have been able to contribute to the NBA and to the league and, and to the, the stats that he was accruing at that point was, was incredible. I put him a little bit over, over Burge because he has the extra championship. He did win that one out a little bit. And he also, they both have three MVPs. I, he's also was, I, in, in my opinion, still to this day the best point guard. I don't have a point guard ahead of him, so obviously he's the best point guard. But I, I have Magic at five, and I think I think that's relatively fair to put him. I just everything everyone above him is just better. I mean, it's nothing against him. It's just they are up there. They're better, and the same the same. Detriment to him is the rivalry with Bird, and also in, he only played for eleven years, so he could he could have done more. He didn't have the opportunity to do more, but that's that's where I have Magic. Uh, who do you have at at number four, Mark? I have the name the name you just said, Magic Johnson. Ah. I have him just a notch ahead. Like everything you just said, Magic Johnson is the greatest point guard of all time, and there's no conversation. And you know what's really interesting about what we both have on our list is he's the only point guard on either of our lists, I believe, unless I'm missing. Yeah. I, don't, I think it was, he was the only one. And that's something positional disparity speaks to your greatness, in my opinion. It's something Tim Duncan is probably the only other guy on our list who also has that positional disparity. Magic Johnson, there's nobody who will ever pass him as the greatest point guard, in my opinion. It's, it's going to be tough. Statistically, obviously, because he had a shortened career, people are going to reach greater numbers than him but he played 
in a in a time in the eighties where basketball was at its height. It was at its greatest time, and his exposure to the world and the Showtime Lakers changed the game. Magic Johnson also led the Showtime Lakers. I, I mean, Kareem is obviously a a greater all-time player, but Magic was the facilitator on that team. You know, he led the show. I just think the dream team too, point guard. Point guard is your quarterback of a basketball team. To be the greatest point guard of all time is like being the greatest quarterback in, in a sense. It doesn't get looked at that same way because there's so many shooters and scorers who will have better numbers than him for the rest of their careers, but the reality is you're leading your team and Magic led the greatest show on the court. And I think he was also everyone's favorite out of the two of them. People did tend to have a little bit of disdain for Bird. I don't really know why I, I wasn't around back then, but I think it's it has really something to do with that Celtics team and the way that they played. And it was dirty. The, the time frame was dirty. It's just how they played back then. But Magic was everyone's favorite. And he, he 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 really he really showed out, and he was he was just lovable. The big smile, the big eyes. It was hard not to like him, you know. So there's that aspect as well. Now my number four is going back to who you you were talking about, who was on his team with him, is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, formerly known as Lou Alcindor. The story I was telling you about before, talking about how. That simple decision that he made changed the entire course of the NBA and the history therein. That's how big of an impact this man made immediately when he was to go to the league. He's the greatest college basketball player that's ever lived. That's not even close. No one will ever dispute that Lou Alcindor was the best college basketball player that's ever lived. And the first reason that I'll give you is that they outlawed or banned dunking in the in the NCAA for 12 years after he left because of how dominant he was. He's the highest scorer of all time. That'll be the case until LeBron breaks that record. 19-time All-Star, 6-time MVP, 6-time champion, 2-time scoring champion, 15 All-NBA teams, 11 All-Defensive teams to take away from people's thought that he was weak or he was soft. I had, I had to deal with someone saying he was soft. 11 all-defensive teams tell me otherwise. That's an incredible defensive effort. Averaged over four blocks a game. He was right there when it just first started. They first started tracking those numbers. Two-time finals MVPs. He won the finals MVPs 14 years apart. The first one was in Milwaukee, and the second one was in L.A. 14 years apart to show the consistency of his career. He won MVPs nine years apart. So the understanding is that he played at a high level until about the last three years of his career when everyone knew that he was on the way out. He played for 20 seasons into his 40s. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had the most unblockable shot of all time. No one will ever come close to that hook shot. It is the most patented move that's ever been. No one knew how to, how to, how to deal with it. And he'll just drop 50 on you with that every single day. Because of that, I have him at number four. I really see that there's only a select number, a small handful of players that can ever be put a, a, ahead of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And so for that, I have him at four. Mark, who, who, what do you think about that Kareem? And then that being said, let's talk about your number three also. Well, so, it'll uh, be the same conversation. Yeah, that's, why I, that's why I said it. I figured it was the same guy. <laughs> Kareem is my number three. I mentioned it earlier. I think that in personally, there's a huge drop-off between the top three greatest basketball players of all time and the rest. Kareem 
is right up there in the conversation with Jordan and LeBron. The only real drawback for me that doesn't leapfrog LeBron and Jordan is the fact that he there's honestly the shooting and scoring in that sense of the game, Not, you know, ball control and whatnot, bringing the ball up the floor and being able to take the last shot in a game. Like you don't think of Kareem in that sense. And that's what basketball has really turned into. But Kareem was a big factor in switching the game of basketball the way it, it eventually became, like you said, his longevity, the fact that he played for 20 seasons and was on those Bucks teams with Oscar Robertson and then on moving forward to the Showtime Lakers. And he always kept that consistent role and evolved with the game uh, throughout the 70s and 80s. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the leading scorer in NBA history is a statistic that can't be taken away from him even when LeBron passes it because players are only going to continue to pass that and you have to be considerate of the era of basketball he played in. Six MVPs is something that speaks for itself. I just think Kareem at that position to have dominated the way he did is unbelievable and will never really be seen again. I don't think that type of scorer at the center position is something we're ever going to see. That's somebody that deserves to be right where he is, I believe. And another thing to add to that is you talked about his disparity between years and the fact that he won MVPs at the beginning and end of a decade speaks for itself. We talked about that with Tim Duncan, and he's somebody who I think that's such a big part of your career to be able to do it for a long period of time. The drawback on Magic is exactly the opposite of what Kareem's greatest gift is, and that's why I think Kareem is ahead of Magic in that conversation. Yeah, I think Kareem just did it for longer. Yeah. It's it's also really hard to compare two different positions, but it, for this particular case, this exercise, we kind of have to. So Kareem is, for most people, the greatest center of all time. For me, he's the second greatest center of all time because my number three is one, Bill Russell. And I, this is where a lot of people might think he's a little bit too high, but I'll explain he is the greatest champion in any history in in history, barring Tiger Woods probably, in any sport. I don't know hockey, so maybe maybe like Gretzky or something. I don't know. Whatever. Eleven titles, but that's not the most important thing. It was eleven titles in thirteen seasons. He was the best player on all eleven of those title seasons, and it wasn't even necessarily close. He was the best defender of all time. He was the best defender of all time, only rivaled really by Hakeem. That defense came to fruition and how good he was on defense came to fruition specifically because he turned a blocked shot into a fast break starter. He was notorious for blocking shots to players. He wouldn't try to send it into the third floor. He was tipping it to Bob Cousy or to Sam Jones or Casey Jones. So he turned, he was so team first oriented. He was the greatest teammate ever. He was so completely team first and it showed in his statistics He averaged over four assists per game for his entire career, over 22 rebounds per game for his entire career, 15 points per game, had seasons where he was almost at 20, about 18 and a half, 11-time All-NBA, 12-time All-Star, four-time rebounding champion over Wilt Chamberlain all four of those years. He won the face-offs against Wilt every year except one, or sorry, except two. That second time he lost, he was at the very, very end. He was a player coach. 16 seasons into the into his career and he was about to hang it up anyway. Bill Russell was the most indispensable player on any team 
of all time. It's unfathomable for his team to consider this, this, the Celtics getting rid of Bill Russell. He was always going to retire Celtic. And I think that taking away from his legacy is such a disservice to the NBA and to basketball and to what he contributed to this league. For the people who have him at 20, 25, 30, I urge anyone to watch his, his highlight tapes, to watch what he was able to do, to watch the fact that he was, without a question, the best facilitator on the court at any given time, even though the fact was he was six foot ten and the center on that team. Understand the way the NBA worked back then. Yes, they were smaller. Yes, they didn't have a three-point shot. No, they were not as athletic, but they played quick. And he had to have really good reflexes and reaction time. And he had both of those things in spades. Some of the best anticipation of any player of all time. I can't see any center that has what he had. Because he had the it factor. Just like Jordan. He had the it factor. He had the obsession with winning. He was incapable of losing because he refused to do so. Both of those losses, by the way, were to Wilt Chamberlain. So if it wasn't for Wilt Chamberlain... He has 13 championships. It's an absurd number. It's a number that I don't believe will ever get touched again. 11 championships in 13 seasons. I just don't see that happening. Now you can make the case, of course, that it was with eight teams in the NBA. But as I mentioned before, that's eight teams with the same level of talent siphoned off into eight different cities, which means that there was so much talent on every single team that you don't have an off day. You don't get to play the Vancouver Grizzlies. On any given night, you don't get that luxury. You're playing against stars every time you go out there. And he did that the best of anybody. So for that reason, I have Bill Russell at number three. Mark, after that rant, what do you think? <laughs> I like your case there. Like you said, it's just beyond disrespectful to not have him in your top ten. you got to respect greatness and respect championships. I just think the those people that say that he do- isn't deserving of top 10 because of the era he played in, they're, you're never going to be able to change their mind because those they will never consider anybody of that era in the conversation. I just think it's going back to what we talked about earlier, the Wilt versus Bill Russell debate is a really interesting one because it's somebody who dominated that era statistically versus somebody who dominated that era championship-wise. And it's just kind of... It comes down to what do you value more? And people have that debate now all the time. It's on, it's going to be the LeBron-Jordan debate, statistics versus championships. Yeah, and I think we – so that being said, I feel like we probably both have our two ones in the same order because we kind of have the same case as we mentioned when we were talking with Logan two weeks ago regarding this case. I want to just – because we, we – everyone knows – I think a better way to do this. Everybody knows the greatness of LeBron. James. So Mark, since we've all witnessed it, I'd rather hear from you. What is your reason for putting him at number two? And I'm assuming right now that he is at number two because I don't even know. He might be your number one, but what is your reason if he is number two, why he is the second best player of all time? He is number two on my list, but I'll throw in the caveat that I would put any amount of money on it, my entire bank account, that he will be number one by the time he retires on my list. I don't think it's even a question. I think he's currently in the best situation of his career to win another couple titles. Once he does that, it's over, and there is no conversation to be had. My biggest gripe in this conversation and the biggest 
aggravation I get is the fact that people rip LeBron for the finals losses. The fact that he will, at the end of his career, have been to twice as many finals as Jordan ever appeared in is the biggest accomplishment of his career. Going to eight straight finals is the biggest accomplishment of his career. And it's something, go exactly back to what you were just talking about with Bill Russell, that type of dominance for that long of a period of time is, without injury, is unheard of. It's just something that by the time his career's over, he's right now with Anthony Davis. That's the greatest player he's ever played alongside. Talent-wise, in the prime of his career, yes, Dwayne Wade was unbelievable, but when they were the big three heat, it wasn't the greatest Dwayne Wade. I think we can agree on that. So that being said, LeBron's going to tack on, I think, at least two more chips. When you're, If you're talking six versus five, that's and that's the conversation, I'd rather take... LeBron's statistics and the fact that he has those finals losses but appeared in that many more finals than Jordan 6 for 6. But as of right now, until he gets that one or two more rings, I got to go Jordan. I think that's a that's a good take on it because I I know a lot of people take the use the championships against him, but I have to at least some of them I have to use against him too because the the problem I had with him I lost a lot of respect after the decision. You know, I remember being 16 years old watching this. LeBron was one of my favorites. We're all crossing our fingers and hoping he doesn't go to Miami because we just we're seeing what's happening in Miami and we really don't want it to happen. And he makes the decision on an hour long fucking special, and everybody's just their hearts ripped out. We just can't wait to watch him get booed all season. You know, ever since then he, he turned into a. We just remember him for his villainous days, and he's no longer the villain because he came back to Cleveland and he won a championship. He, his, his, his career is a story. It's a storybook. But what I take away from him is the fact that he lost to a Mavericks team with Dirk Nowitzki and 17 members of the Expendables and fucking Jason Terry. And really, there's no reason why they should have lost that series, just in terms of just talent versus talent. There's no reason why you lose that series, and they did. So how, you know, so that you have to take away from them. They were no one was going to beat that Spurs team. I've never seen a team play basketball that that purely in an entire series before. It was so pretty. I loved watching them. So no one was going to beat them. So I can't really take that one away from him. You know, and you can you can't really take too much of the the Cleveland versus Warriors championships away from him either. A lot of those losses, I really say, you know what? They got Kevin Durant and they did that so they could beat LeBron. That's a big deal. Regardless, LeBron James never had the if factor that require that's required to be number one. His mindset and the way that he thinks is always going to keep him from my number one spot of Michael Jordan. Everybody witnessed what he what Jordan was. Jordan was simply a winner. We watched Michael Jordan get mad at his security guard because he threw a fucking penny closer to a wall than him for twenty dollars. Imagine that mindset on LeBron James. Mark, just imagine that mindset. On LeBron James. How fucking scary of a thought is that? If LeBron came into the NBA with that. You know, it is. And it's the the biggest criticism that LeBron gets is that last second shot, right? That he doesn't take charge and he looks to facilitate in those situations. Which is such a credit to why his teammates love him and why he is the, arguably the greatest teammate of all time. But imagine he had that... I'm not necessarily even saying to take a shot, 
But how about if he said, you know what, I'm getting to the hoop right here every single time. No one is stopping LeBron in those situations. But he, his entire life, has been a basketball player that was about sharing the basketball and getting the best possible percentage of a shot. When the reality is, if LeBron had that Mamba Jordan mentality and was going to the rim every single time, that's the highest percentage shot. You're not getting a better shot than that ever. Exactly. He There's times where he does try to do too much to an extent of almost seeming like a, a stat patter, knowing that he's not and how easy it comes to him. But things come so easily to him that sometimes we're, I, I'm stuck thinking, why don't you do just a little bit more to get your team over over the hump? Now, 2018, or no, 2016 was a different story where he did that by himself. And there's been a lot of times where his, a lot just like with Timmy for me, it's not really all his fault why he's not number one for me. He's not number one a lot of times because of his front office being fucking atrocious when he was in Cleveland for the first 10 years or seven years, whatever, where he had to get out of there eventually. But we just wanted him to not go where Dwayne Wade was and do it in the way that he did it. So that's why, for me, LeBron's number two. I really don't think that statistically he could he could win five more championships. Then I'll probably look at him as number one. Obviously, it's not going to happen. Two or three, it's going to be close. I honestly would probably still go Jordan just because of the way that I value the hardwiring of someone's competitive drive. It's why Kobe's on my list. That cannot be taught. And that cannot, you cannot unlearn that because you can't get taught it. It's just in your DNA. So my number one, just like yours, is Michael Jordan. Let's just break this down on, on paper real quick. 16 All-Stars, 5 MVPs. Honestly, should have won more. Probably like 6 or 7. Charles Barkley got a bullshit one in the early 90s that it should have gone to Jordan. 6 of 6 from in the finals. 6 finals MVPs. He won an MVP in every single final finals that he, that he won. 9 times All-Defensive Team. 1988, he won the Defensive Player of the Year. And the MVP in the same season. 50% shooter for his career. And he was the single most transcendent player in any sport at the time that he was playing. Again, you can make a case for all time with him. The only one who could possibly, possibly compete with him is Tiger Woods. And he was born at the absolute perfect time for his ability. For the talent that he had, he was born at the perfect time. His notoriety was able to get recognized because it was right at the era with David Stern making the NBA noticeable, and he was the star. He will forever be my number one. There are very significant things that LeBron can do to overtake him for me, but Mark, for as the number one player for Michael Jordan, what to you, in the way that Jordan was, sets him apart from every other player that's ever played this game? The will to win. What I mean by that is... The idea of not settling for anything less. And, you know, that was something that he he hated losing more than the normal person should. It's the biggest fault to his entire life. It's probably why his marriage went down the toilet. Because he can't possibly stand the idea of losing. Imagine try, getting in an argument with that guy about what to have for dinner. Like, it's just something... He's got to be impossible to live with, but it's what makes him the greatest basketball player of all time. I think you can make the argument that LeBron's, I truly believe that LeBron is just all around probably the greatest guy that the sports world has ever seen all around. And that might be what hurts him in the all-time conversation for the greatest player of all time. Because he's just, he's not somebody that's gonna give every ounce of his life 
towards just winning a championship. You know, he's got other things in mind. He wants to be well-liked by his teammates. Jordan did not care. Jordan wanted to get that ring no matter what it took. That's the biggest thing for me, his will to win and just seeing those little moments in the last dance, those, like you said, the security guard, things along those lines where you're just like, it's almost an addiction. He had an addiction to winning. He had another addiction as well, but it also had to do with winning. It's something that is unmatched in the world, not just sports. There's nobody in the world that wants to win at what they do in life more than Michael Jordan. Yeah, it has a lot to do with the gambling issues that he clearly had also. So, I mean, he was just addicted to it. He just, he couldn't lose. There's a story that I remember reading as a kid that he lived in the dorms with Sam Perkins when he was at UNC. And he, and Sam Perkins talked about how he bought a foosball table or they, they had a foosball table or whatever. And Jordan was, would keep Sam Perkins up until about three o'clock in the morning because Jordan wouldn't go to bed until he beat the shit out of him. Not just beat him, but he had to beat him bad. He had to like crush his, his soul kind of beat him. And he sucked at foosball. So that's the kind of player we're talking about with Michael Jordan. And that's the difference that we're always going to see between him and LeBron James. Quite frankly, it's just, I we don't see that in a lot of players. Maybe once in every sport, we see somebody with that kind of determination. Brady, Tiger, Jordan, I don't know, whoever the fuck else, maybe Tebow or whatever in like in, in college football or something. But yeah, I mean, any 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 uh, follow-up takes on that, Mark, on, on Jordan or on anybody on this list? Uh, yeah, I did just want to say one thing about um, a nugget from the last dance when they talk about the offseason that he put on all the weight, built muscle because he was getting bodied by the bad boy Pistons. That's a work ethic and something that I really would, I want to take what he did to beat those bad boy Pistons and the work he put in in that offseason. Imagine putting that to a lot of players in NBA history and you'd be talking about a different story at who was number one. Perfect example, the guy your last week's episode was about of the NBA Stories podcast, Shaq. Imagine Shaq was willing to put in that work. And it's something you can't even fault a guy like Shaq for that because it's it's your human nature. But had Shaq been anything like that, he has the he is a a hundred percent more gifted body type and athletic ability than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was a skinny, kind of scrawny guy when he came to North Carolina. He wasn't it's not exactly like you looked at the guy and you're like, wow, that's gonna be the greatest basketball player of all time. Shaq, you look at him, you're like, that could be the greatest athlete I've ever seen in my life. He didn't have that work ethic. And I think Michael Jordan proved that it's mind over matter when it really comes down to it. It's that type of mentality is how you become the greatest player of all time. It's not what you're born with physically. If Jordan was in the military, he'd be a Navy SEAL. It's just how, I mean, it's the way that he worked. He, he didn't he didn't take no for an answer. And I, I, I agree with that. I talked about that actually last week with Shaq, where if you're that size, you don't fucking have to. Like, it's whatever. If you don't feel like getting better, then you don't really have to get better because your footwork's not really going to make the biggest difference because you're 325 pounds. Who's going to touch you? You know, Jordan didn't have the luxury. And as I mentioned then, Kobe didn't have the luxury either, which is why Kobe worked so hard too. But yeah, that's just, that's what puts Jordan there. And so that's the list, my list, Mark's list. Uh, Mark, do you have any any final takes on all of this, on this list and everything? Yeah, I did want to 
just ask you one more little question about all the guys we discussed. There was one name on my snub list that we never touched on, and I just wanted to see what your thoughts were. I'm not a huge fan myself, but I respect his game. And I want to know if you think Steph Curry is a guy who at some point will be on this list. And is does he have a shot at passing Magic long-term as the greatest point guard of all time? Yeah, short entry, yes. I see... I struggle to put current players into all-time lists because we don't know how the end of their their career is going to go. You could case in point. Think about Shaq. If I put Shaq on the all-time list in 2004, then I wouldn't know that in the next few years he's about to deteriorate so quickly that it's like you're going to forget about how good Shaq was in four years. So we don't know what Steph's going to be when he comes back. We know that he's he's pretty good. He's probably going to stay pretty good, but I think he's he's a game changer. He's changed the game more than anybody on this list other than Bill and, and Wilt and and to an extent Kareem. But he I can't see him there yet because he's thirty two years old. You know, there's he's got time to work. Once all is said and done, depending on how many points he puts up, how many assists he puts up, I, it's gonna be hard for me to put him past magic because Magic lived in a time of the pure point guard. Today we live in an era of the combo guard, where everybody's kind of a combo guard, which was actually a take against uh, Steph when when he started. was like, oh, what does this guy play, one or two? He's clearly a one, but now it just doesn't matter. So I will. it's going to be hard for me to part ways with Magic Johnson as being my top point guard of all time. But if anybody's going to take him off of that pedestal, it's going to be Steph Curry. So I right now I don't have him as a snub. I intentionally left him off because I just think that he's got some more work to do. I know he's got the championships. I know he's got the MVPs. He's got a really good body of work. But we got to see how the end of the career turns out. How pivotal is he? What kind of moves does he make? How does his career pan out in terms of statistics and stuff? Yeah, I definitely um, I, I see where you're coming from there. And I think... Time will tell. He does have the shot, if depending on how they rebuild that team. But the the hard part is going to be: will he have the talent around him? And the you know the talent that's coming out of the NBA right now, it's going to be it's going to be hard for him to dominate the way that the Warriors did for however long they did. I agree, and you know I think that with them coming back with everybody at full strength, it's going to be impressive, and I'm I'm stoked to see it. You know. So that being said, by the way, my piece this week on Anthony Edwards. I did a draft analysis on him from from the stadium. I'll put that in the episode details. I also am going to put the details for Mark and Graham's podcast, the Mark and Graham podcast, which I'll be on tomorrow. So if you want to pay attention and and tune into that, we're actually going to be doing our all-time, we're going to be drafting our all-time top five or all-time team. So that'll be a good time. I'm excited to do that as well. Mark, uh, any any other anything else you want to talk about in terms of uh, your podcast? What you guys have been doing in the, in the past couple of weeks, and what what to what to look out for in the future? Um, we're just gonna like you're doing. We're continuing to come up with content with uh, out sports going on. It involves a lot of lists, just like we did tonight. Um, like you said, tomorrow we'll be doing sort of a draft, which is a bit of, of a change up between the three of us, drafting all time teams, coaches, and then I'm really excited about your all-time jerseys. So each of us are going to pick a team jersey that's sort of uh, repping our squad and like a logo. So that would be cool. And I would just say go check us out on social media so that you can really – we'll probably have a poll up voting on whose team you like the best, mine, Nick's, or um, my podcasting partner, Logan's. So go check that out at Mark 
and Graham underscore podcast. I'll put that in the in the episode details as well, so you can just you can just click on it. But Mark, I'm I'm real happy that you were able to tune in on such last last notice, such late notice. I actually literally told him like three hours ago that I want him to, to be here. So I uh, appreciate that a whole lot. But yeah, man, I, I look forward to talking to you guys tomorrow. Absolutely fun as always. Now uh, get some sleep so your GM skills are on point for tomorrow's draft. Oh, it's game on. It's game on. Anyway, for anybody who is listening. If you like that, I know we went a little bit long tonight, but I think it was good content. So I think that that if you like that, go on to Apple Pod, leave a five-star review. Let me know what you think. Tell me, hey, Nick, you're not as monotone as you were last week. Or I don't know, maybe you should drink some water in between because I forget to do that uh, pretty frequently. Anyway, leave a five-star review. Put something in the notes there so they know that people are actually engaging with, with with the pod. Other than that, check out From the Stadium. I got a whole bunch of stuff coming out. We just did... Uh, the entire team did Jordan versus LeBron takes, and I just published that today as we speak. It's Monday. So that being said, my name is Nick Nasby. This is NBA Stories, and if you are not ugly, stay beautiful, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>